Greetings, everyone. Over 3,000 years ago, right at this time of year, an astounding miracle occurred at the waters of the Red Sea. Please take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. We read of this miracle here at the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 14, and you read verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots, and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. And so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And then verse 28, Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. If you saw the movie The Exodus, or you've seen any other depiction of of this event, you might remember how it was portrayed. I remember one portrayal I saw where where the children of Israel were lined up, uh, walking in a long single well, not single file, but even just a few people in this long line across down into the the depth of the sea and across across the Red Sea. Actually, to add a little bit of reality, if you look at the number of people who would have been involved with the children of Israel, let's say uh, conservatively a couple of million of pe- million people, um, if they would only be walking uh, ten abreast and and walking in a line like that, separated with about five feet, then the the the, the line would be 190 miles long. Uh, so clearly this was, this was wide, wider than even a highway. If they was wide as, let's say, our highways today, uh, the, the first ones would already be entering the land of Canaan by the time the last ones were entering the Red Sea. So we're talking about even a wide, vast area, uh, perhaps a mile wide if you look at, at some of the, at some of the, the figures. It must have been a massive, massive, uh, uh, unbelievable sight as people would have looked around and seen this whole massive group of people crossing the Red Sea. And when they did, Israel knew God was working with them on that day. It made an impression on them. Exodus chapter chapter 14, we read verse 30. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And verse 31, that verse 31, thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and they believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Israel knew that God was working with them that day. It made an indelible impression on them. Back in Egypt, they had doubted God. When their male children were killed by Pharaoh, they doubted God. You can read about it. 
and as they were being tormented by their by their taskmasters they they doubted god as they were being uh, they were enduring the brick making and the other hard the backbreaking labor that they had to go through they doubted god and when they were hated by pharaoh they doubted god but during their final days in egypt they saw how futile it was to put their their confidence in the the false non-gods of egypt and through the miracles that God gave them, bringing them out of Egypt, they began to, to less doubt God. Finally, with this, this incident here, they believed God. And they saw that through this, particularly this miracle that, that changed everything, that brought them to a point where they no longer doubted God. Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, we read, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The people feared the Lord and says they believe the Lord. They were appreciative. They were humbled. They were excited. They truly, they truly feared the Lord, they feared God, and they believed God. And they were, and as we read, they were, in a, in a sense, baptized in the Red Sea. They've been given a new start, a complete break with the old, with that Egypt of old, and they were stepping out on the other side of their baptism, so to speak, fresh and clean. 1 Corinthians 10 mentions this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we read a, a New Testament reference to this, this Old Testament event. He says, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all, verse 2, all were, were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So we see that Israel passed through the waters, the Red Sea, and a, and a physical type of, of baptism. But between their exodus from Egypt, here during the days of unleavened bread, and ultimately the giving of the law as we go forward, even on the day of, of Pentecost at Mount Sinai, they faced a, a rugged obstacle course. An obstacle course during the days of unleavened bread, and then onward, after their baptism, so to speak, again, their physical type baptism, they, they faced an obstacle course that would challenge them, that would test them, and would stretch them. Let's retrace today, let's retrace the steps of the children of Israel from their departure from Egypt uh, during the days of unleavened bread to on into the, the, the lessons that they learned uh, on into the wilderness journey. And I'd like to look at lessons from the wilderness. And as we do, I, I hope that you'll be better able to understand how God works to challenge and to, to strengthen us in our wilderness obstacle course, uh, so to speak. Let's go back to Exodus 15. You see, their journey had a purpose. It was intended to teach them, to challenge them, and uh, we can apply that lesson to ourselves in our, in our day and age. And learning from what we are supposed to learn from our obstacle course, particularly during these days of unleavened bread, uh, as we think about the lessons of the Exodus. Exodus chapter 15 we left, we left Exodus 15 a moment ago. Let's go back, and we read here in, verse, uh, in verse, verse 19. 
We read a, a, a summary statement. For the horse, horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Now, verse 20. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them. She said, verse 21. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So we see again, they sang praises to God. God is great. God's our all-powerful. God is our protector. They were emerging from their watery grave, so to speak, uh, in, with, with jubilation, with joy. They were, they were thrilled. They were jubilant that God, God saved them. He preserved them from Pharaoh and the Egyptian soldiers. And they were on an emotional high. But now we see as we continue with the story, just like we experience baptism, and it can be very exciting, be very gratifying, be a very encouraging time, but we have to go on as well, don't we? Now we see the, the Israelites, as they then went on to, to the next day, we see verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. So they had to continue with life. He says, now they went, verse 22, they, then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. They found no water. Verse 23, when they came to Marah, verse 23, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, they call, the name of it was called Marah. We find some uh, incredible logic sometimes in people naming things what they are called. Um, or calling things, I rather what they what they what what they actually were, and here it says the bit the waters were bitter, so they called it bitter. Verse twenty four, and the people complained against Moses, saying, "What shall we drink?" Verse twenty five, so he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet, and there he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. Verse twenty six, and he said, "If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God." And do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So, what can we learn about, about lessons from the bitter waters of Marah? Uh, there are some obvious lessons. Uh, first of all, I think the, the most obvious lesson is that they should have had patience and waited on God. I think that's, that's fairly obvious. If I were to, to ask you, you would have to uh, come up with a, a lesson from uh, these verses. You say, well, perhaps certainly they should have had patience. They should have waited on God. But understand, they, they had just walked 30, 40 miles, three days journey. Uh, this was not an unreasonable complaint. Would we have been any different? Um, the last time that you walked 30 or 40 miles, how did you feel? Uh, I know the last time that I walked for an extended distance, uh, was able to take a, a, a backpacking trip this, uh, here this last year and in the mountains of Wyoming, and it didn't take me 30 or 40 miles to complain about wanting, needing a drink of water. And so this was not a, in, in a very human sense, this was not an unreasonable complaint. Uh, so we, but we see, well, perhaps they should have had more patience and they should have waited on, on God. One, uh, one thing we see here is an obvious lesson is that they, they needed to understand that, uh, God can, can take care of a situation. He can, he could have healed the bitter waters, which ultimately, uh, we see that, that he did. 
Now, we see here in this case that he, sometimes God uses strange means to uh, accomplish an objective. In this case, we see that he used a tree. And you could ask certain questions. Why God used this tree? Was there something special about this tree? Uh, did he make sure that tree was planted there some years before? And we can postulate about different things. Uh, why didn't they just go down the road to Elam? Uh, where there were 12, uh, 12 wells. Now remember, of course, though, that they had to follow the pillar and cloud. So they were uh, intended to, uh, to not go their own way, do their own thing, but follow a certain, uh, follow the lead of the pillar and cloud, follow God's lead. So we can, we can look at different things, and we can, we can postulate on, on different lessons, but what is the fundamental lesson that, that is that we can derive from here? Is it just simply about not complaining? Is that, that all it is? Is it simply that we shouldn't, uh, uh, we shouldn't complain when things don't go easily for us? Well, God had something in mind with this lesson. God had something in mind with this, this obstacle that they face. And let's just look, look at again here. Let's begin in verse, in verse 25. Uh, let's continue down. Let's see what, what was God doing in, in a, in a more fundamental way? Uh, we know, we have children. We certainly want them to not complain. But oftentimes when we work with our children, you have children, uh, you, you, there are some bigger issues, some bigger uh, fundamental principles that, you, that you're really trying to teach your children that will last them throughout life and will carry on into other areas of life uh, beyond that particular situation. And this is what God was doing. Verse 25, we see here, Verse 25, so he cried out to the Lord, the Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made, now here we come to the point, the fundamental issue here. There it says, he made a statute and an ordinance for him, for them, and there he tested them. So we see that God began, and this is more important simply than, than just learning not to complain, but God God gave them an opportunity, or he, he, he orchestrated an opportunity to introduce them to his laws and statutes. He, he introduced, he began to, to put in front of their face the fact that he was going to give them laws, statutes, parameters for life. And uh, we continue reading here, verse, verse 26. And he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight. It doesn't get more basic than that, does it? If you do what I say, if you heed what I say, and you do what is right in my sight, God says, then he says, and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. Then I will put none of the diseases on you, which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So he said, look, he said, and he began to, to use this as an opportunity to, to teach them, to, to lay the groundwork for what, for what was going to come in the very near future in more detail. But he began to teach them, began to introduce them to the fact that there were going to be parameters on, on, on how they were to live. You know, that's a difficult thing, particularly if, if there are parameters that, uh, are, are new and different. If you want to, for example, if you want to, to get in better shape, if you want to get, have your, have a better, better physical health, 
Well, then you have to come to grips. We all have to come to grips with the fact that there are parameters that we have to not only just, uh, not only just give lip service to, but we're going to have to be very diligent to keep parameters in terms of what we eat, in terms of our exercise, in terms of getting rest, a lot of different parameters that we have to acknowledge. And then we have to be able to, uh, to abide by. And uh, parameters are not something that uh, are very popular in terms of, particularly in terms of obedience to God and our lifestyle. They may be they're a whole lot more popular, perhaps, by in terms of health and a health club and and uh, exercise and these things uh, and diets and all that. Perhaps they're a whole lot more popular in those areas than they are in terms of obedience to God and living a life that would be in obedience to God, at least in our in our culture today. But he says again, he says, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. I want you to have blessings. I want you to prosper. Uh, verse 27, then it goes on and talks about them coming to the to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. So from the first lesson, we're going to review three lessons that we find took place here in the wilderness during their wilderness journey. And this is the first one. We, we see that he began to introduce them to his laws and statutes, as I said, and, and explain to them that these would result, obedience to them would result in, in good things, a good health, and his blessings. And also, as he was doing that, there were, he began to, to introduce them to the, to the, the fact that he was going to give, have a covenant with them. Verse 26 mentions that. He says, um, uh, verse 26, if you diligently, again, we're going back. Verse 26, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases. So he began, begins to introduce them to the fact that there's going to be a, an agreement. There's going to be a, 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 an agreement they're going to enter into uh, that they're going to have to, have to face. Now, I want to mention here in terms of, of something else, a, 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 a greater fundamental, broader fundamental, simply than this, what they were facing, that even applies to us. And that's this, fundamental number, number one, that we can begin to see as we go through this account. Fundamental number one, and that is God intends for us, not just even allows us, but he intends for us to bump into obstacles. Fundamental number one. God intends for us to bump into obstacles. And by doing so, then he can do, he can work with us like he worked with them. He intended for them to bump into this obstacle because he had things that he wanted to teach them. I've mentioned those, those things. He had a, he had something that was coming downstream that he was preparing them for. And as part of that preparation, they had to bump into this obstacle to be, to be confronted with a situation that he could begin to teach them and work with them. And the same thing for us. The same thing for us. Even after baptism, we saw how, how their baptism, in a sense, was, uh, was, was a starting point here. And it says that they feared God. They believed God. We fear God. We believe God. But as we go past our baptism, that's not the end. That's, that's, a, that's a beginning point for, a, for a, a, a path on what may some, sometimes appear to be and really is an, an obstacle course, a challenge course that, that God 
that God allows us to go through and God coaches us through, and it will include obstacles that He He wants for us to bump into. And by doing so, we're able to learn, we're able to be challenged, we're able to be to be strengthened. Uh, John chapter 6, I want to just give you an example of this in the New Testament. John chapter 6. You think about different situations throughout the Bible where we see that it was, it was uh, challenges, it was trials, however you want to term it, obstacles that, that people had to confront that actually became teaching opportunities, became opportunities to, uh, for God to uh, use to introduce us to His ways, to His way of thinking, to uh, uh, to uh, issues even concerning uh, our our faith in Him, and so on. He says, John chapter six. I wanted to look at uh, the example here. Is the example of uh, their uh, their uh, not having enough enough to eat for the people who were with Him for the multitude. Um, Verse 1, John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And we see a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Verse 3, and Jesus went up on the mountain. There he sat with his disciples. Now, uh, verse 5, uh, Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread that we that that these may eat? Verse six. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now you see what was happening here. Christ was he was aware of an upcoming obstacle, a situation, a, a, a test, a challenge. He he knew what was happening. He knew, he could he could foresee the difficulty here, but he was going to use this as an opportunity to teach, to work with. To, to test, to stretch a little bit the, the thinking of, of his disciples. But he said this, well, I said, read verse 6, this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And you know the rest of the story. He said, well, we have a, a situation here that's untenable. It's illogical. There's no way we can handle it because, because our resources are not, are not adequate to, to supply the needs. And as a result, Christ was able to use the situation and an obstacle to teach them. Now, I think this is important, too, because sometimes when we, when we bump into a trial... When we bump into an obstacle that, that challenges us, that confronts us, we can very easily immediately jump to the conclusion that we're doing something wrong. When in fact, we may be doing something right, and that's why we have the obstacle, which is a, 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 exactly the opposite of what, what immediately comes to our mind. We can say, why is God punishing me? Why am I having this difficulty? What am I doing wrong? I can't believe it. I've been trying to do everything right. And, and, and there must be something I'm doing wrong that is putting me in this situation that I've got to fix. And if I can only fix what I'm doing wrong, then everything will be okay. And we're missing the whole point. That this is an obstacle that is there for us to learn. And in fact, God may not necessarily have placed it smack dab in the front of us, 
But he, he may have very, very clearly coached us or guided us. So we bump into that thing, just like we read with, with Christ. So we bump into uh, that, that obstacle so we can learn particular lessons. You know, it's almost sometimes the way we can approach our difficulties and our trials is almost like um, uh, perhaps when we, we have a sour smell in our house and we look around and say, where is that coming from? From uh, Is it the garbage can that needs to be taken out? Or what is, what is the smell coming from so we can fix it and get rid of it and then everything will be okay? Uh, if you look at, at the, the Old Testament, how many of the, of the patriarchs, how many of the heroes of the Old Testament went through obstacles that were clearly, so clearly, Joseph, for example, the things that he went through, the obstacles that he went through, clearly were, were, were geared to get him, to, 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 to guide him to a point in the future that he would be a better person. Whether it be the example of being taken into slavery, what a hum, absolutely humiliating experience to be, to be taken, sold into slavery by, by his brothers. It appears that before that time, if you read the story of Joseph, he didn't seem to have a, a difficulty uh, seeing himself uh, rule over his brothers, and perhaps because of the favoritism that was shown him, uh, perhaps he had a, a reasonably high opinion of himself. Yet, after being sold into slavery, having to function, serve as a, as a, as a slave, and then, after the even rising higher, confronting a, a horrible conundrum with Potiphar's wife, being thrown into a, a dungeon. You think of those, those episodes that he went through that weren't, weren't even over in a matter of hours, days, weeks, months, even took years to, to overcome and work through. And, but as a result, what he became was that much more stable, solid, mature, and, and having a heart that God could really, truly use and, and, and will use in, in the future. Without those experiences, what would Joseph have, have been? Uh, he would not have been as strong a person. Perhaps, perhaps there could be other experiences he would have faced. But I think you understand the point. Acts chapter 5. One more scripture on this on this point, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, you see, at this point, you see here the apostles going through some very, uh, very dramatic times, and times where what was happening was very exciting, uh, very positive. Uh, Acts chapter 5, and we see verse 12, Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Uh, again, you know that um, uh, sometimes it's important that we look to the Bible to give us guidelines for uh, decisions we make in life. And uh, if you're looking for uh, uh, instruction in the Bible about what type of car to buy, uh, you may find it very difficult until you come to Acts 5 and you realize that there is a type of car that the, the Scriptures teach us to buy, the Honda Accord. And uh, it's, it's right here. Uh, not really, actually, but uh, any, that's one of my uh, three Bible jokes, so I decided to go ahead and give it a shot. Uh, okay, we see here um, they were with one accord in Solomon's porch. And verse 13, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Now, it's nice to be esteemed highly, isn't it? Very encouraging. It makes you feel good to be respected, to be honored by people. Wow, that's wonderful. He says, verse 14, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Very dramatic times. Very encouraging times. Very positive times. 
And also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So everything's going great, wonderfully. But then verse 17 we read, The high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. If this were a movie, at this point you'd have music in the background, background uh, 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 with a more ominous tone. Duh, duh. You know, something bad is going to happen. You know, you can uh, you cannot even listen, uh, watch the picture on the TV and just listen to the sound, and you know something bad is coming up. Well, this is this is the music that would be in the background here, because next next thing we read in verse 18 it says, and they laid their hands on the apostles and they put them in the common prison. So we see that uh, everything didn't happen uh, easily for the apostles. Everything didn't happen in such a way that, that it, was, it, was, it was easy and it was exciting. It was great. No problems. We see here uh, that uh, it didn't take long in terms of this, this, even this time period that they ran into a pretty severe problem. Uh, they could have been, who knows what could have happened. They could have been there in prison for the remainder of their life. They could have been, had all kinds of horrible things happen to them. And, uh, and who is to say? But yet, we see that they rose to the challenge, they, they remained faithful. We see here, verse, uh, verse 19, At night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And what did they do? They went right back out and they continued preaching and they went on trial again. And, and the, the point is this, uh, we see that with the apostles, with the heroes of the Bible, uh, we see that they faced ob- obstacles, they bumped into obstacles, and uh, they were not, uh, instead of being discouraged by them, and look upon every obstacle as a punishment of God, or something horrible that they were doing in their lives, instead they, they looked at them as an opportunity to have faith in God, to praise God for what He would do, and, uh, and be able to allow God to work whatever He was going to work, to, uh, to bring his will to pass. And that's the way we need to approach trials in our life. That's the way we need to approach the difficulties, even after baptism that we face, even after we're, so to speak, unleavened. We need to face uh, trials recognizing uh, that it may not be, in a, in a sense, the, the leaven that's in us, it may actually simply, we may be working to remove that leaven, and God, through God's help, removing leaven, and just, it would, we can't become perfect by removing all the, the leaven from us, it's, and it's actually impossible, because in a sense, we have the yeast and, and uh, so on physically, that's part of our whole, whole body. Um, so, our challenge is to face, is to try to remove the, the, the weakness and the, uh, the, the leaven of, of Satan and human nature, but at the same time, uh, recognize when we face trials, there for a purpose. Let's go on. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. We see the second of the major challenges that are recorded facing the Israelites here in chapter 16 of Exodus. And we'll read beginning in verse 1. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came, of chapter 16 of Exodus and verse 1, they came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So we get a, a time frame here. 
the, a, a, a month has gone by, verse 2, then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And verse 3, uh, verse 3, And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, I, already, I know that you already know the answer to what God was teaching them here. First, uh, first thing that God was teaching them, first lesson would be, well, I suppose they, they shouldn't complain. Well, again, yes, uh, complaining is not good. Uh, perhaps understandable, because again, with what they were going, they were complaining in this case, uh, not because of something that was a luxurious need or a luxurious want that they, they desired, but it's simply because now not not water so much, but uh, but food that they were that they were desiring. They were serious. They were hungry. I don't know about you, but um, when I I go through a fast, I get hungry and I get cranky, and I and it's hard not to not to have a hunger very very at the very tip of your tongue at the top of your mind because it's something that affects us. Uh, so in that sense, it's you know it's hard for us to uh, to really criticize them for going through a very physical reaction. Uh, we can say, well, they shouldn't complain. When we're in a trial, we also complain too, don't we? Um, have you ever had a trial that you didn't tell anybody else about, not one single person? Uh, maybe you have, but generally speaking, generally speaking, when we have trials or difficulties, we really like to tell others about it. Uh, sometimes we even like to compare trials. Uh, have you ever been in a conversation with, which is a, a trial difficulty comparison uh, uh, discussion? Well, you won't believe how bad it was. It is for me. I've got this problem. Well, if you're the first person to talk, you're you're actually uh, you're actually in the worst position because you know that person number two is is going to be able to top it, and person number three is going to show how how they even have it worse, and uh, that's the way we are as human nature. We like to compare difficulties and challenges and problems and trials, and boy, if we have the worst one, then we feel the best. And it's a it's a crazy thing about our, our human nature, um, but we'll even complain to God, won't we? We'll say, uh, sometimes we'll say, look, I, to God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. I'm trying to do everything right, and, uh, and yet this is happening. Again, what am I doing wrong? Or perhaps, uh, God, why are you doing this to me? I just can't understand it. And we don't understand First Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1. Let's flip over and hold, if you want to hold your place in Exodus chapter 16. First Peter chapter 1. What we're really saying is that we don't understand this. Because 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again, not to a complaining or not to discouragement, but to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved or have been, been put in a difficult situation, up against an obstacle, grieved by various trials. But there's a purpose. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, what we're saying, if we uh, shake our head and scratch our head and just are confused and frustrated when we bump into a, a, a challenge, a trial, what we're saying is we don't, we don't believe or we don't recognize or we haven't read uh, what, what Peter says. And we're oh, perhaps forgetting, perhaps forgetting, because when we're hungry or when we're, let's say, take by analogy, when we're in a very difficult physical trial, that's, that's consuming our mind, that's, that's in front of us every day, it can be very distracting and very difficult to look at it in a positive way. Let's go back here to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, then, we see that, that the, we read verses 1 through 3 that identify the problem and their response and their complaint, but we see what, what is said in verse 4, because now God begins to talk, and we see, we see what he has in mind, not simply to test and try to train them not to complain, but there's something more. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, so I'll take care of the problem. I can deal with the complaining, he says, but, uh, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them. Well, here we go again. We see from this situation here that we see God has something in mind for, for, from this scenario, from this obstacle. God allows us. He even intends for us to bump into obstacles, to challenge us, strengthen us, has, a, has something in mind. And here we find the same theme is, is reiterated. And he says, And people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will law, walk in my law or not. So we see again, again, God was introducing them to his covenant. Through the situation, through the obstacle, he was pointing them to the fact that there was going to, there were going to be guidelines, there were going to be laws, there were going to be parameters that would govern or should govern their behavior. And he was using this trial to, to direct them to, to bring that to, uh, to their attention. You read here verse, uh, verse five. He says, verse five. Uh, and it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So we see through this trial, through this, this uh, obstacle, that now God doesn't just simply introduce them to, to his, his laws, but he be also begins to give them more, more specifics. And isn't that the case with us? Uh, doesn't God uh, give us more specifics and more understanding, a grasp of his ways and his mind, and even his laws as we face a trial, because we learn from that situation how we're supposed to react or how we're supposed to think. Uh, when you're, you may, uh, you, you may uh, teach your children, for example, uh, not to gossip about other children. But when they come to you, when you have a little girl, little boy who comes and says at school, mommy or daddy, um, uh, so-and-so said something about so-and-so, and this is what happened, and that's what happened, and so on. And I I'm, I'm really up, feel upset about it because I also something was said about me, and I feel it's horrible, it's not true, and, and so on. So we, we, there's a scenario that's been created. What do we do? We say, well, okay, understand. It, God says don't, don't gossip. Don't say mean things about somebody else. And we can begin to point them to instructions that God has about that scenario. But, but without the scenario being there, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have as much impact. 
So we can, we can use the scenario to, to fine-tune their understanding. And God does that with us as well. Here he fine-tuned their understanding in terms of the Sabbath day. Now we know the Sabbath had been, had been, uh, was, was taught from the beginning. We read in Genesis about the Sabbath. But here, obviously they needed some retraining, retreading, uh, an un- a better understanding. And, and, uh, I think there's, uh, I think that we, although, Although we can see that uh, God's word and the scriptures uh, were certainly maintained through the time of their sojourn in Egypt, uh, I think it's pretty clear that their understanding of God's law was uh, was fairly slim, was fairly thin, and uh, so the Sabbath day here had to be uh, had to be uh, taught them uh, to them, and they had to uh, they had to learn that God meant business in terms of the Sabbath. Because he says, I will test them then, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And then he goes on to explain, it shall be on the sixth day, they'll prepare what they bring in, it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, at evening you shall know the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. So again, he, 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 he refers them to the God they said they believed in, had faith in, feared. But he takes a scenario and he begins to, to use it to, as God intended, to help teach them a lesson. He says, verse 8, Moses also, also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full, for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. So he goes on and he explains um, about about the uh, about the bread that he would give to them from heaven. Let's let's come down to verse uh, verse fourteen. And when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness, there was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. And so, when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, "What is it?" For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, "This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat." This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to their needs. Let's take take enough for your family. And then they did so, verse 17. They measured, verse 18, by omers, and he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered according to each one's needs. You know, God supplies according to needs, not according to greed. And uh, we can see the example with, with, with that because those who who tried to collect enough uh, to have more than they needed. For that bread, verse 20, it says, it bread warms and it stank. And he, Moses was angry with them. And as you go down through the chapter, we can see on the sixth day, they were, they were commanded, and they did, to gather, gather twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, he said, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake you what you will bake today and boil what you will boil. Lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning because he was going to teach them about the Sabbath day. And so it, they did that. In verse 25, he said, eat that today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Verse 27, it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. So they learned about God's Sabbath day. They learned about God's Sabbath day. So God uses trials to remind us of our covenant with God. He uses uh, tribulation and tests to remind us. Sometimes He even blesses us. He gives us uh, benefits 
to, to, uh, to see what we'll do with it. Sometimes those benefits can be a trial as well. If we look at the example of King Solomon, you read in, in 1 Kings about King Solomon, who, whose abundance actually became a trial to him. And uh, we see that, unfortunately, as his life ended, that he had, uh, he'd struggled and he'd really fallen down in terms of, of handling the wealth, the abundance, and uh, his, his prestige, and uh, the things that he, had done, that he had done wrong, and how he had, uh, he had fallen down in terms of, of, uh, of uh, enduring and, and uh, exercising his own character in those trials as he should have. So we see God used hunger to teach a lesson, to teach obedience to God, to exercise or test their belief in God, and he reintroduced one of his laws, the Sabbath day. Now, I want to come to, as we go through this, this account, then the second lesson during these wilderness days, I, let's, let's draw a second conclusion, a, a, a broader conclusion. The first conclusion was that, that uh, God allows us, he even intends us, for us to bump into obstacles. The, the second conclusion that we can draw is that for them and for us is that God intends for us to go into this wilderness or to face this trial or this obstacle. They're not helter-skelter or pell-mell, but God has a, 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 a plan. He has he orchestrates so that this trial is, is meant to be uh, for the purpose of learning the lesson that God intends for us. Now, if you think about that, they were, they were, they had a, a journey that was custom made. They were told to stay away from the way of the Philistines for a particular reasons. So they wouldn't see battle and be dis- discouraged and so on. And instead, they were to go this way. And this way through the Red Sea was intended for a particular person. This way to the place where there was no water. This way to a place where there was no food available. And they had to, they were forced to be able to, to look to God. So God has a custom made, a custom made path that He intends for us to, to go into. This wilderness, this path was for them. And for us, even after baptism, this, this obstacle course is custom made for us. Now, what does that what does that tell us about God's love for us and God's desire to uh, to encourage and to strengthen and to help us each each and every one of us individually 1 Corinthians chapter 10 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this is why we can we can read what he says here 1 Corinthians chapter 10 you'll notice here that this is right on the that what I'm going to read is on the heels of of what we read in the first part of the chapter about Israel being baptized, going through that sea, symbolically, physically baptized. Now, as you go down through the, through the, the verses here, you come to verse 12, or verse 11. He says, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, recognize that we have lessons to learn. And uh, verse 13, No temptation then has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. 
So we're not, we're not, it's not worse for us, uh, for us than it's been for anyone in particular. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. You see how he does that with us. He says, look, I, I know what you can, what you can face. I know the mountain that you can scale. I know the rivers you can cross, if you want to use that analogy. I, I, I know what your limits are. Again, like with our, with our children. Or if you're a coach on a team, you, you don't put your, your, uh, your, your players into a, a situation that they're not going to be able to manage. Doesn't mean you don't put them in a situation where they're, they're on a basketball court or a football field or a swim meet. You don't take your, uh, a swimmer who's, who's a beginner and put them in the most demanding, longest race so that they drown in the process. No, you put them in a race that you know they can do, they can, they can accomplish, but that they also can, they can survive. And it will test them. That's, that's what a wise coach does. That's what a parent does when we work with our children. And that's what God does for us. That's what God does for us. He says, we will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Knowing that, think about the, the lessons of ancient Israel. So he knew that they could accomplish, they could, they could overcome every single one of those trials. He knew it beforehand. And he, he, he custom made that and designed that, that path for them. But with the temptation, verse 13, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What an encouraging thing for us that we can, we can take heart in. That whatever trial we face, God's going to, has prepared a way of escape. He's prepared, uh, something for us to learn through it. And we can be thankful for that. Let's go back then to Exodus chapter 17 and let's look at the last of the three major uh, episodes, of the three major trials that uh, ancient Israel went through, again, as they, as they left Egypt. Um, Exodus chapter 17. We read about the manna then from heaven and the challenge with, with, with what to eat. Now we come to Exodus chapter 17 and verse 1. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. And again, it seems like to me, you think, well, let's see, God has dealt with this issue before. Certainly he could do it again, right? You, you would think us looking here, well-fed, happy, we can have all the water we want. Uh, it's very easy for us to say, now hold on a second. How can they think that there would be a problem with water since God already addressed this? We, they should be able to see that he was able to deal with it. There was a difference though. In that case, it was water, but it was not sweet, not able to be for them to drink. Uh, in this case, there was no water at all. So he said, well, there's a little bit of a difference here perhaps. And uh, it was a bit of a different challenge. And isn't that the way it is with us? Uh, even the same, perhaps the same character issues that we, that we confront may come back and we may be confronted again and again and again, but it's always with a twist, always with an extra little challenge. And, um, and that's what life is for us. As, as it was here, a little bit of a different. There was no water for people to drink at all. So we read verse 2. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And again, Moses said to them, Why do you contend? In this case, we read first they complained against Moses. 
They complained against Moses and Aaron, the second episode. This third episode, not just complained, but even contended. They were angry. They, they confronted him. And he says, verse 2, Why do you contend? Moses said, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people, verse 3, then thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and to kill our children and our livestock with thirst? And, of course, we know, verse 4, Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And you know, at that point, then, we see here that uh, Moses says, verse, verse 5, The Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod, which, you've struck, which you struck the river, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? Now, it's interesting. What a contrast from what we read at the beginning at the, at the end of their journey through the Red Sea where it says they feared... And believed God. At baptism, we fear, we obey, we, we're uh, repentant, we fear God, we believe God. And yet, as, as the days go by, as the months and years go by, uh, do, we ever, do we ever have the same type of attitude? Is God with us or not? Is God with me or not? Because of the trials we're facing, because of difficulties, we rarely say, because things are so good for us, is God with me or not? <laughs> but when things are bad, what do we do? We say, all too often we can say, I don't know, is God with us? Because things are going, things are going wrong. Well, we see that um, uh, this was what, what, they, what they faced. And they had to learn, again, that God was with them and that he, uh, he was able to help them and he was able to dramatically uh, give, give help in a... A, a trial that was custom made for them to to uh, to face. Now, I want to uh, give then fundamental three in terms of of where we've come. We can see certain fundamental lessons which I've drawn two of them, and here's a third one. That that's this, that's this. You notice here that the people intend and in, 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 insisted on and we can see vestiges of, it, of this through the other trials but here again it says they insisted on putting the responsibility for their problems and their issue that was in front of them on moses or on god instead of saying instead of saying okay we're here we need to be faithful to god so god please help us and we put ourselves in your hands. So there's, the, there's a proactive mentality that they're going to do what they could have to be able to come before God and ask for his help. But, but instead, what they were doing is they were blaming God for their problems, blaming Moses for their problems. Well, again, when I read the story, where they started out wasn't very good. They weren't doing so well on their own. Okay, uh, but, but they wanted to uh, blame God. Now, what's the, what's the point? Well, fundamental number three, as we address trials, as we confront trials, fundamental number three, God wants us to take responsibility in our trials, 
not necessarily responsibility that that the trial is something that we have uh, uh, we have completely uh, made because sometimes we have a part in it certainly, but. What I'm talking about is responsibility for our actions, responsibility for our attitude, responsibility for how we confront the situation. Instead of playing the blame game, if you, wife, or husband wouldn't, wouldn't have done this, or wouldn't have said this, or wouldn't have handled this, we wouldn't be here today. Or if, or if you, let's say your, uh, your pastor, or your boss, or whatever it might be, if you hadn't done this, then everything would be fine. Typically, when we face problems, we, 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 instead of taking responsibility with how we handle ourselves, our attitude, our actions, we like to shift responsibility to others, blame others, and somehow we feel uh, we, we feel justified by that. First Kings chapter eighteen. When we come upon trials, let's not blame it on others. Instead, analyze what can I learn. What how can I improve? Uh, how can I be able to to show faith in God through this trial? First Kings chapter eighteen. One thing I find that's interesting about about uh, different kings that we read in Israel, is, is to learn, uh, go through their story and see how they handle this, whether they took responsibility for their attitude and their actions. Uh, I want to point out here, First um, Kings chapter 18, we read here in verse 1, came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a, a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. A little side note about Obadiah. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks, Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we may not have to kill any livestock. So we see they were confronting a, a famine here. It was uh, uh, a, uh, a very severe time. Now, I'm not going to read the whole section. I want to come down to, uh, to the last part of the, of the section here. Uh, we can see that Obadiah was able to find Elijah. And he asked for Elijah to, to go to Ahab and talk with him. And, and uh, we see here verse, uh, uh, verse uh, uh, 14, And uh, Elijah said to Obadiah, Go tell your master Elijah is here. Or rather, if Obadiah was saying, If I do that, he's going to kill me because you're going to disappear and then I'm going to be in trouble. So we, we see the, the account. Verse 15, Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand... I will surely present myself to him today. So verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him that Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now look look what he says here. This is a, a trial that's facing the land. And, and certainly Ahab is, as the leader, uh, faces and, and takes uh, great responsibility. Verse 17. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. We find it's interesting that Ahab does the typical routine and says, you're the problem, you're the problem, when in reality, the problem was brought on upon them by the disobedience of the land, 
by disobedience of him and his household. And, and he was going to have to take responsibility for his actions and, and instead of trying to shift it to others. So there's a lesson that we can learn through trials both of Israel and other, other people in the Bible. Instead of blaming on others, analyze what can I, what can I learn. Uh, Ahab never seemed to realize the reason what the land was having this drought was because of, of God's power, even of withholding rain, even not, it wasn't necessarily Elijah. It was God. And uh, so, so he was placing the blame and, and pointing toward others. So let's go back to Exodus. Let's go back to Exodus again. We've looked at We've looked at uh, some fundamental lessons to learn from trials. We've looked at the specific trials and how God, through these different trials, was, was, actually, in, was actually on a path to, to teach them, to introduce His covenant, to give even some details, some, some precursor, some uh, introductory uh, uh, instructions regarding the laws that He was going to introduce in more detail. Uh, they didn't have the ability to discern right from wrong. They, they certainly didn't understand how to do that, to discern God's way from the way of the old Egyptian gods or Canaanite gods. So God had to, to lay it out for them in detail. And he began to do that through these trials. Exodus chapter, if you go further after Exodus chapter 20, where we read about the Ten Commandments, we come to Exodus chapter 21 and 22, and he begins, he actually goes into some great detail in terms of taking responsibility for situations they, they would find themselves in. If a man, chapter 22, verse 1, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen. So there's whole, this whole concept of taking responsibility for situations we're on, sometimes of our own, our own doing, sometimes we, because of someone else's doing. But it's, it, he began to give them greater detail as to, as to how to handle these things in a godly way. In a godly way, and they had to learn, continue to learn uh, through uh, throughout uh, not only the days of the of their journey in the wilderness, but as they were entering the land. It was a continual process of learning about how to how to think like God. Oftentimes introduced, and oftentimes uh, they were confronted uh, by this by this, this this issue through trials they faced. Now. Want to go back to, uh, to back to Acts, back to Acts. We see here Acts chapter two. Let's just let's just look for a moment as we conclude. Then let's look at what we read here in Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter 2, we read that the, the people that were here uh, surrounding the apostles on the day of Pentecost, as they began to listen to what Peter said, and as they saw this, this uh, miraculous, dramatic event, what were they inspired to do? Well, verse 36, when, when Peter said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucify, both Lord and Christ, Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They feared, they believed, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They 
were, were challenged by what they had seen, the miracles they had seen, the power of God they had seen through the resurrection of Christ, through the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit being poured out. They were convicted. They were convinced. They believed God. Just like ancient Israel, as they came out on the other end of the Red Sea, they believed God. They feared God. And it set up, it set the stage for a new, a new, a new time in their life. A new, a new beginning. And we read about that here. They were cut to the heart, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So they then we see how many, many were baptized and they began a new, a new time of their life, a new journey through life based upon an, a, a fresh start, putting the old behind them and, and, and looking to the new. But the new also included challenges and trials and difficulties. And it was only through those difficulties that they would be able to, to, to be trained to think God's way to learn God's way, to be able to, to take on God's way in every aspect of their life, as we should too. Let's just go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I'll conclude, I'll conclude here. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 1, we read, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes, and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live, and that you may go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. Don't add to the word, verse 2, which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. This is where he was going. The instructions that he was going to give in Exodus 20, with the Ten Commandments, that as that Moses brought down from the mount, and the instructions in Exodus 21 and 22. And here, as it's reiterated in, in the book of Deuteronomy, we read, God intended for them to learn those, those laws and those ways of thinking. And so the challenges they faced, the obstacles they faced, were toward that end. We see here, again, verse uh, verse 5, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom, and this is your understanding in the sight of the peoples, verse 6, who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Wouldn't we love to have people say that about us? That's a wise that's a wise and understanding person. And we would know it's not because of us, but it's because we've removed ourselves from Egypt. We've removed leaven from ourselves. That was, that's the effort that we go through during these days of unleavened bread. It's to try to put the old behind us. Try to remove the leaven from us. And even yet, we're, we will face trials and tribulations and difficulties. And the way we face those is going to be an example to the people around us. So they would say, as they should say, should have said for Israel, that, that's a wise understanding people. How, how is wisdom expressed? It's expressed through difficult situations. We don't say to, to someone who is able to make easy decisions, that's a wise person. We, we look at wisdom as someone who's able to, to deal with a difficult situation, something that's challenging, 
something that is not, not easy, not, not light. And uh, so he says, therefore, be careful to observe them. This is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Verse 7, for what great nation is there that has God so near to it? Or what person is there that has God so near to them? Others should say about us. What what great nation is there that God has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon Him. They're close to God. They're close to God. They have God. They have a, a, a line, a direct contact with God. It's clear because of the way they're doing things, the way they're conducting themselves. And what great nation is, verse 8, is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day. Well, I hope that as you go through these days of unleavened bread, that you'll think about the lessons that Israel learned from the wilderness, the three major lessons that we address today, and the fundamental issues that we, that we addressed. Uh, the God intended for them to, to confront these obstacles. He had a custom-made uh, a path for them to go through that was for, just for them, as, as He has one for us, as He directs us. And then thirdly, that we are to take responsibility just as he wanted them, as he intended for them to take responsibility for their actions. Because if we take responsibility, we learn. If we take responsibility, we're able to do it differently next time. And for us, as we confront trials in our life, as we learn from the, the wilderness, the lessons from the wilderness that we're confronted with, as we, as we live our life in, in, our, in the world that, we, that, we're, that we're faced with on a daily basis. We may, be, uh, we may have come through our baptism. We may be uh, de-leavened in that sense. But yet we still have to live in a very leavened world and a very, a very challenging, very difficult world. If we can be able to learn the lessons that the Israelites uh, were supposed to have learned through those lessons, then we're going to be drawing ever closer to God each and every day, on past these days of unleavened bread, each and every day of our life. And isn't that what it's all about?